0: Hi, welcome to the Dan Bradbury Podcast, where turnover is vanity, profit is sanity, and cash is king. In this podcast, I'll bring you resources, tips, interviews, and lots more to help to grow your business and make it less dependent on you. Hey guys, Dan Bradbury here. Super excited to be welcoming back for another interview, Mr. Carl Allen. For those that don't know, Carl is a major corporate dealmaker, has sales over $48 billion, That's with a B, dollars worth of M&A-type transactions over three decades. That's hundreds of acquisitions and sales. So with that said, Carl, welcome back. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me, buddy. I'll, I'll kick this off. The Asda sale had just been announced because this is a major leveraged buyout uh, with only a 10% deposit. So we're going to talk about that. That that facilitated a great conversation. So the intent of this interview, for those that are listening, is for Carl and I to discuss books that have had an impact on us that are underappreciated. Many of them you probably have either uh, heard of but not read, or you've not heard of them, but we go, wow, these were really great books, and we don't actually really know what's on each other's list. We're going to see how that goes, but let's have a chat about this LBO because I-
1: yeah, what a great it's a great deal, isn't it? But it's, it doesn't surprise me because like all they've done is they've bought a business using other people's money, and they they found a distressed parent owner in Walmart that's getting its butt kicked by Amazon. In in the US, it's distracted. It it bought the Asda company the UK supermarket, one of the big four, many, many years ago. And these guys started off with a tiny little forecourt in Manchester in uh, in the 80s and have built this humongous UK group called the the Eurogarages. So they own service stations on the motorways. They own petrol stations all over the place. They have a massive Starbucks franchise. So there's a lot of strategic synergies with buying a major supermarket. And Asda being cash flow positive, loads of assets, loads of cash. They've just used the business's own resources to buy it. So they've paid £8 billion for the company, and they've put £800 of cash into the deal, which, as you know, is not their money. They've got lines of credit and and other cash flowing through their other
0: businesses. So effectively, they bought it for nothing. Phenomenal. I mean, I think most people probably can't even get their heads around it. And I'll put a link in the show notes, the BBC article, which is where I first read it, which was quite fascinating because it to give them credit, they broke down where the money was going from. Obviously, Walmart being a distressed seller because of the competition with Amazon. Yeah. And then I commented, how long until Amazon goes the way of Standard Oil? Standard Oil, for those who don't know, being uh, John Rockefeller's company and uh, and arguably the, the wealthiest man who ever lived in modern history in today's yeah. adjusted terms. And you you responded, great point. Lots of parallels between Rockefeller and, uh, and Bezos. And so yeah. let, let's have a chat about that. So as it stands, I believe at the moment, Bezos is the uh, wealthiest man in the world today. Where, where do you see that going? Because uh, they are dominating, or certainly big tech is dominating the world. What
1: Bezos is doing, I, I think it, it kind of ebbs and flows between Bezos and, and Elon Musk, doesn't it? Because Tesla pops hugely in, in the stock market, but you know, Bezos, I think over the past few years, he's been the richest guy in the world because of his ownership of Amazon, and Amazon continues just to dominate and to completely get into every particular sector. So, I, I think Amazon are the modern day technology retail version of of Standard Oil. And and I see a lot of parallels between, you know, Rockefeller, uh, you know, we were talking about his book on tech. So I've read that book, I think, three times. I've got numerous books up there on my bookshelf about Bezos. Everything Stores is a great book. Beesonomics is a great book. And when, you know, when you read these books and it kind of talks about Amazon's strategy and what they're doing, Amazon, is... Have you read you've read Good to Great by Jim Collins, phenomenal book? In that book, he talks about the flywheel, which is about a set of things you do in your business consistently over and over again, and the momentum keeps spinning and goes faster, and it drives profit and growth in all the other areas. So, what Amazon have really done is dialed in that flywheel, and they're able to use that internal kind of operating system way of doing business to penetrate all these different industries. And and what I love about Amazon is they're growing the smart way. They're growing not just organically, but they're growing by acquisition. When they realized that all of their book readers were listening to books, they didn't invent an app, they went and bought Audible. Let's go buy the customers, buy the technology, buy the growth. When they realized that all their customers were shopping at Whole Foods, they went and they acquired it. They've got the cash flow and the chops to buy these businesses, integrate them, and then cross-pollinate all of those customers and all of those products and services across this global customer footprint. So I think Amazon is completely changing the world. And the company reminds you of Standard Oil, and Bezos and Rockefeller, for me, they're brothers from another mother.
0: Well, I mean, this, this is something that I find fascinating because I don't know, I don't know who said the quote, but history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. And yeah. uh, and that's probably it, perhaps perfect segue into the first book. People go, oh, I don't know what's going on right now. and Where's the world going? And, and of course, there's no guarantee where the world's going. But the, the parallels between Bezos and Rockefeller, I mean, if you haven't read this book, I know you will have, Carl, but um, Titan by Ron Chernow, it, it, that very famous author, great writer. This is absolutely spellbinding, but how he yeah. brought up the railroad so he could control the supply chain of the oil from being drilled out the ground to the market, and how he could block the competitors. I mean, this guy was oh, one ruthless cutthroat, oh, and yeah, then yeah. you know. So, so that's that's my first book on on the books we're going to go through today. Um, Titan. If you want to talk about a well, a, a titan of industry, right? I mean, he was the one, and that's where it's interesting because uh, the fascinating thing about that book which I know you know as well. Standard Oil was his company that got so big and then the US government brought in laws to break up Standard Oil Yeah. around 1912, somewhere around that, but actually in breaking it up to try and get rid of some of his power actually made him wealthier because I know. the sun was better than his part and a lot of people don't even know that most of the petrol companies, the oil companies in the world today are descendants of Standard is- Oil.
1: Yeah. So talking about the railroads, another book, I'm literally, as you know, I'm in my library right now. I'm looking around to try and find it. Another great book, which is kind of an an iconic book, but most people haven't read it, is Atlas Shrugged. It's a humongous read. It's like 1,200 pages and it's really like small text. But this is a fascinating book about the railroads, just how nasty and horrible you know, governments can be and, and and what they can do to stop you evolving and growing. And one of the big takeaways from this book is just what, what pig-headed discipline, determination and grit entrepreneurs really need to have when they're starting and, and growing companies. And I don't do that stuff. I'd rather buy a business that someone's built and acquired, a bit like the, the Issa brothers with Asgar, I'd rather buy a company and use its own cash flows and resources to, to fund the deal rather than... Reinventing that wheel. Another little book from me, which again is a classic. If you're into deals, is is Barbarians of the Game.
0: Oh, great! I, I was looking for that today, but I couldn't find it.
1: Yeah, so uh, I love Barbarians of um, the Game. You know, 25 billion dollar leverage buyout. You know, it's really funny. I was on a podcast about a month ago, and somebody said to me, "Yeah, it's, it's all right to do leverage buyouts, you know, but you can't do it on large deals. Obviously, we just have the Asda deal." This in its day was the largest LBO in history, $25 billion. It has been eclipsed since then. But I love this book. It's written by the two Wall Street Journal reporters, Brian Burr and John Halar, that covered the story in the late 80s. And it's all about RJR nabisco the biscuit company, which ironically also owned a whole bunch of tobacco businesses. And tobacco being very profitable, lots of cash flow, they basically use that, you know, to do the deal. But it, it's amazing. It tells about corporate greed. And did, did you know one of the craziest things about this book, this deal? And again, it was in '87, I think. The total cost of the fees on this deal for bankers, lawyers, CPAs, etc., was two point five billion dollars. That's just the fees
0: That's alone amazing. for the, that was in the 80s. That was in the '80s. I mean, that that was, was in the, the '80s. Or like, days, just in terms. I mean, it is a great book, and it's, you've got to read the book. It's much better than the film. There was a cheap, The film's terrible. terrible. Yeah, 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 yeah. I watched it once, and I loved the books. I watched the film, and I was disappointed. You've got to read the book. Yeah. That Barbarians at the Gate was the height of the uh, the LBO world. Again, LBO, for those are listening, if you don't know, means leverage buyer. I messaged somebody, a friend of mine, who was a, uh, owned a private equity group with over a billion dollars under management when he was running it. And I said, oh, what do you think about this to deal? And he went, yeah, Dan, I've had a look at it. He goes, yeah, the cash flows work, right? Because of the stability of Asda. So all of a, set, all of a sudden this, because it had gotten back to almost being like 50-50 typically for, from my observation as a layperson. person. Uh, so people go, oh, the heyday of Wall Street's gone. And time will tell whether it proves to be a good or a bad deal. And it's still going to yeah. be signed off with the regulator. But it made me yeah. think about just that, that critical analysis. My next book and I know you've recently become a fan of him, but he, he's still underappreciated in my view is um, oh, yeah. the, the road less stupid. Keith Cunningham. I mean, yeah. this is, this is a, this is an absolute Bible and it's broken into little chapters with different topics. This is a book that will really make you think. i defy anybody to sit down and yeah. read this book without having to stop and go away and think about it for a week. I yeah. mean, it's, it's yeah. easy to read, but it's, hot like it really makes you think and so for me this is an absolute bible and i, I think well to be honest, he obviously his point is not to market himself i think that's why it's underappreciated but i mean just put the reviews on amazon I, I absolutely love that book. I love that book and I absolutely,
1: I love and respect that guy so much. I don't know him like you know him. I've met him a couple of times. He he speaks at the Tony Robbins events. So I went, I still do. I still go to Tony Robbins events. And he was at the Business Mastery event. I love everything that he does. I love the way he tells stories. He's obviously got a lot of experience. He went from boom to bust to boom again. I love The Road Less Stupid. I love that concept of thinking time, as you've alluded to. Being able to sit down and, you know, ask, ask better questions, get better answers. You know, strategically think and work on your business. Get out of the weeds, even
0: just for an hour a day.
1: So it's do, you
0: a really know, un- uh, do you know where the thinking time idea came from he tells it no. in the seminars, but i don't think it's in the book oh you're gonna love this you're gonna absolutely love this story so i'll try and do it just to, for clarity this is Keith cunningham's story about how he came up with the concept of thinking time which he talks about in the road less stupid which is phenomenal basically in the 80s he was raising money he was in the cable industry and he was raising money for a big acquisition he was trying he was trying to raise the money and in a nutshell long story short he went and uh, raise the money for the deal from Mike Milken. And That's Mike right. got interrupted in the interview and said, uh, oh, Mr. Milken, we need your decision on the takeover of Gulf oil. And he goes, uh, takes out his daytime and goes, the next time I'm scheduled to think is at 4 a.m. next yep. Wednesday. You'll have an yep. en- You'll have at 4 a.m. to 5 a.m. You'll have an answer at 5 a.m. And just the idea of dedicated, especially in today's world with all these distractions, unfiltered focus and attention. I did it just the other day, Carl. I, I had a bit of a problem when I went around thinking, asking myself the questions. By the time I came back, I had a profound epiphany. So anyway, that's the road less stupid. That's
1: yeah. That's- and I, I love his I love his book, Keys to the Vault, as well. That's that's the bible for anybody trying to raise money either for deals or businesses. So that's the first key book I ever read. And what I love about Keith is he's so underrated. Like a lot of people talk about Jay Abraham, who's obviously a god and a legend. But for me, Keith's my own Jay Abraham. You know, everything he talks about, I
0: uh, I think is fantastic. Here's a book I reread recently, and I'm blown away by how phenomenal it is. And it's loads of examples from inside executive suites at uh, in Silicon Valley. But it's a phenomenal book, and it's focused on the people side So rather than the kind of analytical side. It's focused on the people side, and it's a book multipliers. I would yeah, say anybody that anybody that leads people should should read this book. Have you seen that book? Come, you know. Yeah, book? I have. I've, I've met Liz Wiseman actually. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, I, cool.
1: When I worked for HP Corporate, I was one of HP's MA directors, so I spent a lot of time in, in Palo Alto. I went to a lot of networking events, and, and she was there. I have a uh, I have a copy of that book, not in this library, in, in my other library. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And what's great about that book is it is it kind of crystallizes. In, in like, the technology industry, why people are so important. Because most tech businesses, yeah, they've got IP, but it's the people assets in the business that are really, really important. It's like what Daniel Priestley talks about in his book, You Know, 24 Assets. You know, a lot of people focus on the analytical stuff in the business, but often it's the human capital, which is really the
0: differentiator. Oh, yeah, huge. Huge. Uh, By the way, I've yet to give that book to anybody. So, Liz, for those listening, uh, separate people into multiplies and diminishes. There's a chapter in that book called Are You an Accidental Diminisher? And I've yet to give that book to a mastermind member or a mentee and and have them not come back to me and go, Dan, I think I'm an accidental diminisher. Right. So the whole book is about how to get the best out of your people in a really elegant, empowering way for entrepreneurs. Talking about people, just what one of my
1: favorite books, and this will surprise you. And I talk about this book a lot and people think really? And I'm not a political guy, especially when it comes to the states, but One of the people I admire the most was Ronald Reagan. And The Reagan Diaries is an absolutely phenomenal book about people and and about leadership. Because as you know, California actor became the president of the United States in in 1980 when the country was struggling somewhat and wasn't the smartest tool in the box. He's he's dead, so obviously he can't berate me for that. But he just built an incredible team of people around him that ran the country and someone agrees, some wouldn't, that, you know, he did a really, really good job in his eight years in, in office. And it was all about the power of the team and, and just surrounding himself with those really smart people. He was a nine-to-five president, used to sleep during the day, but had a killer team that, that, that drove the country forward. And, and that's how I operate a lot. You know, I, I own loads of businesses in, in on three different continents, and I don't work in any of them. I have teams in those businesses doing really, really good stuff. So I, I'm a bit like the Ronald Reagan of the deal-making world. You know, I, I I don't want to actively get involved. I, I set strategy, handsomely incentivize my teams and just let
0: them get on with it. Yeah, nice. You can't underestimate the power of people, whether they're working underneath you or whether they're peers or whether they're mentors or whether they're customers, suppliers. It's yeah. it, As I've gotten older... I'm increasingly convinced about the long-term nature of things. And if you want a great example of this, by the way, we've going back to Bezos, if anybody hasn't, a must read for me every year is the Warren Buffett's Letters to Shareholders for Berkshire Hathaway. But I've just recently started reading the Amazon shareholder letters, which you can find a PDF if you just Google Amazon shareholder letters and they're listening to this and have a read. But just the long-term Thinking and on that topic, here's a book that I'm hoping you haven't read, Carl, but you might have. I might have even mentioned it last time we interviewed, but um, it was recommended to me by Keith, and he recommended it to me two or three times. And right. Keith can recommend books that extremely with that. With- got to read it then. Wow, it's really good, and it? it's this book, Boards That Lead. Right, no, I've not read that one. Oh, there you go. Right, I've got to hear hit- it
1: now. Yeah. You're like me. When you get a book recommendation, you're on
0: Amazon and you've bought it in like five seconds. Exactly, exactly. Well, you did that to me the other day when I started on a text. So it just gives loads of really good examples of the importance of the boardroom. And I, like you, Carl, obviously, we're, we're passionate about yeah. mastermind and surrounding yourself with people. Masterminds, in many respects, act like boardrooms. So least for in my private mastermind groups. We've got lots of uh, groups of eight where they act as boards, informal directors, and it's just a great example of how to lead, influence, and have an impact without being operationally involved. Yeah. Phenomenal book. If you're trying to leverage yourself um, uh, from your business, free yourself from your business, Boards That Lead. It's got three authors whose names I can't pronounce. But uh, yeah. if you look up board, boards, that, boards That Lead, Keith Cunningham recommended it to me. I read it, and I wasn't disappointed.
1: Nice. Just shifting gears a little bit. So I think we've talked about some really good books about business, about leadership, about strategy, about deal making. One of the things that I've been we were talking a little bit about this at the start, one of the things that I've really shifted gears on in the past, I would say six months, is I've become a really kind of devoted student of, of mental toughness. And I've I've read probably 50 books in the last year around, you know, fortitude and grit and mental toughness. And for a long, long time, Barbarians at the Gate was my favorite ever book. But there's a book that I read it in September of last year. I've read it three times since. Uh, I read it nearly every month. And it's a book that really epitomizes what I'm trying to do in my life in, in terms of really becoming the most mentally tough Grittiest, determined person that I can be, and and show up and play full out in all areas of my life. And that book is is called The Iron Cowboy. It's written by a guy called James Lawrence. And this guy, what this guy did, Dan, I don't think will ever be repeated. You know, in our lifetimes. I know I'm I'm older than you, but what James Lawrence did, he was an ultra. Marathon athlete, and what he did is uh, he decided to do Ironman. So an Ironman, as you know, it's like, it's like a, a two two mile swim, then you've got a uh, you've got a cycle like 112 miles, and then you've got to run a full marathon, and you've got to do it all in a day without stopping. So this guy did 50 five zero Ironmans on 50 consecutive days in 50 consecutive states. So he started off, I think, in Hawaii, did a whole Ironman, and then he flew on two hours sleep, then did the next one, and did 50 Ironmans in a row. And what's really interesting is on the third day, he's lying by the side of the road in the marathon phase, in tears. His feet look like they've been put through a wood chipper, and he's bleeding, and he's in so much pain but he says, you know what? I got one more step. I got one more step. And he gets up and he walks one more step and then one more step. And he does it over and over and over and over and over again, finishes the day, then does 47 more Ironmans with that kind of mindset. And I've deployed that, that little nugget in all areas of my life, every single day. When when I want to quit, when I want to give up, when I don't want to keep going, I just say to myself, "You know, I got one more. I got one more deal. I got one more thing. And- It's incredible. And it's a big, bold, huge statement for someone like me that reads 100 to 150 books a year. I've read thousands of books in my life. But that's the greatest book I've ever read. I've
0: I've literally just ordered it. I've just just hit, hold on. It's mind-blowing. I know I've not watched, uh, because there's also the documentary of that, I think, on Netflix or certainly on Amazon Prime as well, which is worth checking out. And so we're getting tangential, but it's kind of fun. I detest Clubhouse. Oh, I'm not a fan at all. But some- me good. Well, I'm glad we're 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 aligned there. However, I must confess, a friend of mine texted me. Lisa texted me and said, "You've got to jump into this Clubhouse room because everybody. It was an entrepreneurial group, but everybody was talking about ultra marathons and, and and like serious endurance events. So I jumped on, and there there are a few people on there, reasonably heavyweight, successful entrepreneurs. And it had just come up spontaneously that one of them had mentioned that they were an ultramarathon runner and a load of them basically said the same thing. And they were all coming back to the point that you just made from that book, which is they were all referring to the grit. And uh, this guy on my wall here, uh, a guy called Richard uh, Davis, is an ultramarathon runner, got several tremendously successful businesses, facilitated over half a billion's worth of property transactions. So he's big in residential and now in commercial property uh, in Bournemouth. And he just said, A, it gives him unbelievable energy. You know, he's just got so much energy. He's always bounced off the world. So physically, it helps. But he goes, psychologically, he he said, Dan, there's so many things at times that I've pushed myself beyond the limit of what I thought was possible. So he's done multiple marathon disorders. He's currently training for a 240-mile race. And he goes, it translates. So when you get up and you go way further than you think you can, and for me, Paul." I can appreciate the Iron Cowboy because I've done uh, two half Iron Men and it was the hardest thing physically I ever did. Yeah, um, And I remember finishing that range and it took every ounce of me to finish that half Iron Man. I'd have yeah. to, like, 99 more to be up there with the, the Iron Cowboy. I remember thinking, everybody's got to do this.
1: Great little segue to that story. And I think this this is a, a popular book, but if you've not read it, you have to read it. It's, um, you're talking about ultramarathons? Is is the David Goggins book, Can't Hurt Me. Oh, it's a and, great, great. And there's a great little nugget in here that, you know, and I, I use this in my in, in my deal making mastermind, you know, I, I use this story where, you know, Goggins, if you don't know him, I think he's one of the only people that's passed all of the special forces training programs all over the world. So SAS, GSG9 in Germany, Delta Force, Marines, all that stuff, Navy SEAL. And then runs Ultra Marathons now for firm. And there's a little takeaway in here, a little nugget. We talked about the cookie jar. And what he talks about is when you go for something in life that's tough and you're thinking, I can't do this. He has you think back to other other times in your life when you faced adversity and you powered through and you got the outcome that you wanted. He calls that the cookie jar, reaching into not a physical cookie jar, but a mental cookie jar and anchoring physically that feeling to get you through. And, and I think that's what James Lawrence did in the Iron Cowboy. You know, that's what, you know, I did what well, I did 75 hard last year and I busted my knee with a week to go and, and use that, that grit and that toughness just to power through the pain, just to complete it and get the job done. So I think for you to have done a half Ironman, you know, that's a big physical anchor. That's a big result where you're only going to be able to go up from that. So that's your little mental cookie jar moment, you know, when, when you get into a tough time, if you ever decide to go for a, for a
0: full one, I, I don't know. I'm going really that crazy. And talking about going for a full one, I, I we're on our schedule today, Garland. Unfortunately, we are now out of time, and I've got more books I wanted to discuss, but I think we're gonna do it again. I have to push pause for now and do it again. But yeah, I've certainly enjoyed doing some of those books, and I've definitely got a few more. And I, I, I'm confident if we have a round two in a few weeks' time, I can get a few few books that you haven't read that are, in my opinion, classics. So, uh, yeah. Uh, let's do it again. So uh, I will bid you farewell. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Three things you need to do now. Number one, make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you do not miss an episode. Also, get on over to Amazon to get a copy of my latest book, Turnover is Vanity, Profit is Sanity, Nine and a Half Steps to Improving Your Profits and Cash Flow. Also, join our Facebook group, the Turnover is Vanity, Profit is Sanity community to connect with other business owners.